We've mentioned a few times today that, that today is Reformation Sunday, and Reformation Sunday is the last Sunday in, in the month of October, and the reason why it's celebrated is because on October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the Castle Church in, in, in Wittenberg, Germany, and um, it's an event that, gosh, 498 years it's been since that took place. Um, I took my family there a few years ago, and we were driving from um, across Germany, and, and, and as we were driving, we played and, or had sung almost, I don't know, countless hours, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And so we had to sing, and Natalie was just a toddler, just singing with all her might, the mighty fortress is our God. Um, we sang that as we began the service this morning. But this is, it's, a, it's a, a hymn that, that Martin Luther penned, one that he wrote. And um, I just wanted to remember, before we get into our passage this morning, Reformation Sunday and what it means to us. 498 years. It, it matters to us. The reason why it, it matters is because at that particular time, the gospel had been just attacked in incredible ways to where people were paying indulgences and, and thinking that they were saved by, by what they were doing and what they were giving and where they were going it wasn't a time in which people lived and believed that they were saved by the work of Christ alone by faith alone it wasn't a time in which scripture was what they had in their hand they didn't have God's word they were listening to the church and councils and pope emperor and and here you have this this young man martin luther in just such a bold act of of nailing this 95 thesis there on the door of that church printing press had just begun and 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 that document got taken and sent all over europe and people looking at it and reading it. And, and at the same time, you have God's word starting to shortly after just being published and translated so that the average person could read it. And them saying, God's word alone is our authority. It's, it's what does God say in his word? Doctrines that are so precious to us, like the doctrine of, of justification by, by faith alone. A doctrine that, that we look upon and, and say that we're saved, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. A, a, a doctrine in which we as a church, don't we? Don't we sit here every week and throughout the week and we praise him with all that is within us? Because you and I, were saved, not because of our own works, but we're saved by faith in the work of Christ upon the cross and that alone. We don't have to 
be here and wonder, am I saved? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I lose it? Did I do enough? But to be in a place of he did, he did enough. He fulfilled all righteousness. He paid the price for my sin. He took the wrath upon himself that I deserved. It's Christ alone. And, and out of the Reformation, you have the five solaces that come out of that, which is Scripture alone being our authority, that we're saved by grace alone. Um, it's by grace. We're rescued from God's wrath by grace alone. Work that the Holy Spirit does in us by bringing us to him and taking us from our bondage of sin and raising us to life. It's all by grace. It's all by, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We're here this morning just praising him alone for this great salvation in which we have. And is this that... Um, it matters to us very much this morning. Luther talks about this doctrine of justification by faith alone. And he says it's upon this doctrine that the church either stands or falls. For us to be a, a church and for the gospel to be proclaimed, we must understand that we are saved by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross alone and through faith in him. And so on this morning, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for for Reformation Sunday. I'm thankful for the work in which Christ has done for us in saving us. I, I think of Luther and, and him penning that. And um, What must it be like to think of, of him and the other reformers that, that stood so strong on God's word and the authority of God's word? Um, the persecution in which they faced. Countless Christians who fled Europe and the persecution that they were under to come to the United States of America and form this great country. So solid in their convictions of how it is that we are saved and how it is that we can know truth and where all of the praise is to go to. And think of how grieving it must be to think that um, so many within the church today have thoughts in their minds like, why does it even matter? It matters. The gospel, brothers and sisters, the gospel matters. Clarity in the gospel matters. It matters that we're not on some kind of performance treadmill where we're trying to do our best. But to be able to look and say, he did his best, he did it, he fulfilled all righteousness, and he died on the cross for our sins. It's through faith in him, it matters mighty fortress is our God. I think of the persecution that he was under for this where he pens the words, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Then the hymn closes with let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It's forever. And with that, let's get right into...
his word as we continue our study in the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. Jesus is there in the upper room, and he's been speaking to the disciples in this particular chapter, and as we continue on in the chapters ahead. But he says in in verse 13, I'm sorry, in in chapter 13, beginning in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He's been talking with the the disciples and and encouraging them to to follow his example in washing one another's feet. Um, To follow his example in forgiving one another, humbly serving one another. You have it where Peter has just said, don't, you, you, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus just explained that, that he must, he must. Peter would perish if, if it wasn't for Jesus not only washing his feet, but washing him through the humble sacrifice that would take place as he hung upon the cross. And now he's commissioned them, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But I do not speak concerning all of you, as he talks to the disciples. I'm not saying this concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen. I'm not saying this concerning all of you who are in this room. I know whom I've chosen. And he's saying this because... There is one who eats bread with him that has lifted up his heel against him. This picture of taking your heel and lifting it up and coming down upon the neck of somebody and just an act of total forsaking and destroying the person. And so he's speaking to them about Judas Iscariot. I'm not speaking this concerning all of you because there is one of you who is a traitor. Why is it that he brings this up? We'll see that in a moment, but he is specifically bringing up Judas. We see that this is something that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. In Psalm 41 and verse 9, it says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus is referring to this saying, that was talking about Judas who was to come. It's a picture of the psalmist that's there, but it's a greater picture of Jesus and Judas who was going to betray him. Also in Psalm 55 where it says in verse 12, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, who took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng, looking ahead of the one who was going to betray him. Zechariah, in chapter 11, verse 12, I'll just read it to you. It says, 
Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it, threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Details that are given in these three particular books of one who was going to come who was going to be a traitor. One who was going to come where not only was he going to be a traitor, but he was going to be someone who traded in the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Details that are given of this one who is to come. And the reason why Jesus is bringing this up now is because you can picture the disciples in a short time, they're going to be somewhere. And they're going to be there on, in, in that garden of, of Gethsemane. And, and in that particular time, Judas is going to come up and he's going to kiss Jesus. And he's going to give him to those that will take him to be crucified. That act would have, would have just wrecked the disciples. To be able to see Judas, one who had been with them for three years one who was in charge of the money, the one who, who was walking with the disciples, hearing the teaching of Jesus, seeing everything that Jesus had done and being in a place where they're looking saying, did you make a mistake, Lord? Because you chose us, the 12. You picked us. We're, we're your disciples. Did you not know that he was going to betray you? Did you make a mistake in choosing Judas to be one of your disciples? And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you right now, I'm not speaking concerning all of you, for I know whom I've chosen. I know, I know all of you. But so that scripture may be fulfilled, know that there is one who is going to betray me. One is going to come to betray me. In, in Matthew chapter 27, it gives some detail there as well as, as the Judas, this betrayer, um, who comes and he, he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the exact amount that had been prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah. Not only that, but we find that, that after this, he's remorseful and he brings the 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priests and elders and he says, I've sinned against innocent blood. And tells us that these chief priests and elders said, what, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And then he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought, them, brought with them the potter's field to bury straight, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in it therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day it's the fulfillment of the prophecy that had been given the fulfillment of the prophecy for 30 pieces of silver he would be betrayed and then it would be sold to buy that, that potter's field just incredible detail given hundreds of years before so that when the disciples heard this when the disciples saw what took place with, with, with Jesus being betrayed, they're going to look and say, he said this would happen. He told us over and over again that this would happen. 
He knew who he chose. And he told us that one of them was going to betray him. He knew. Not only that, but, but all of the details he knew. As you look at this, as we begin to look at what's taking place here with Judas, one thing that just screams out to us is God's sovereignty, isn't it? It does, doesn't it? You, you look and, and you see that he knew all that was going to happen. Nothing was taking him by surprise. He, he is about ready to go to the cross, and it's not that he could have just continued on and lived and done all kinds of wonderful things if Judas had not betrayed him. But Jesus knew the details of, okay, one is coming and he's going to betray me. One that I've chosen, he's going to do this for 30 pieces of silver. He's going to do this. He gives detail because Jesus is in control here. In verse 19, he says, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. I'm telling you this before it comes, so that when Judas does do this, you will believe that I am. Your translations may say, I am he, but the he's left out there where Jesus is saying, you may believe that I am. You may believe that I am God. You may believe that all of the prophecies that were pointing ahead towards me in the Old Testament prove as these things all come to fruition that I am God. Most assuredly, verse 20, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Lays it out for them. Most assuredly, you can know this for sure, one of you is going to betray me. Notice what it says there in in, in verse 21 where it says, he was troubled in spirit. He was troubled in spirit. Jesus has been spending the last three years with Judas. Judas. And the other disciples. Not only that, but he created Judas. He called him unto himself. But the entire time in which he called Judas, he's watching Judas, seeing Judas, seeing everything that Judas has done, everything that Judas has witnessed, and he knows he's going to betray me. Judas maybe said the right things and did some of the right things and fit in with the disciples and was there and witnessed these things. But Jesus knew that his heart was so far away from Christ. He knew that there was no faith in believing in Christ. He knew that he was going to be the betrayer. And it tells us that it troubled him in his spirit. The Bible talks about the terrors that are there amongst the wheat. And they look the same. But God separates them in the end. I know that there are people within churches where they they know the right thing to say. They're there amongst God's people and they're there hearing the very words of the Savior. 
And yet, their hearts are hard. Their faith is not in Christ as their Savior. And they go into a direction where, like Judas, they'll spend eternity apart from Christ. What a horrible thing that is, isn't it? I mean, when you start thinking about our nature, our sinfulness, our depravity, you don't need to go far in our text here. You look at Judas and you see his nature. Here's someone that saw all of the miracles of Jesus. Walking on water, raising people from the dead, calming the storm, healing people from leprosy, making blind people able to see, making lame people able to walk. He has heard the teachings of Jesus. Not only has he heard the teachings of Jesus, but teachings that would directly relate to him. Teachings like when Jesus said in, in Luke 16, no, no servant can serve two masters. He'll either, he, he will, he, he, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve two masters. You'll hate one of them. And Judas listening to this, listening to Jesus say things like, like, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in, in heaven for neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And him hearing these things and all he could think of is, I want to steal money from the bag. I want to steal money from it. it, it we're told that, you remember where where. Jesus has, is there and his feet are anointed with the, <coughs> the, costly, <coughs> the costly fragrance. And as Mary takes that pound of costly fragrance and anoints Jesus' feet, Judas says, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii to, and given to the poor? And then John tells us, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So he was the one that was just stealing from the money box. He's there saying, what will you give me if I betray Christ? If I tell you where he's at, if I tell you and give him over to you, if I show you who he is, if I kiss him, what will you give me? We'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Done. I'll show you. Why? Because there's this incredible love for money. Money that just consumes him. The things of this world that just consume him. Nature that, that is so sinful that this one in whom has never sinned against him, this one who has only been a light, this one who has revealed God the Father to him and to all of the disciples, this one who has shown incredible mercy to all those that were, he came in contact with that were sick and lame and hurting. Just healing them and loving them and letting the children come unto him. And Judas has seen all of this and yet he says, I just want more money. Maybe he followed Jesus because he thought he's going to set up his own kingdom here on earth. And I want to be in a position where I could have power and I could have wealth. But when that didn't work out for him, he started thinking, how can I get money? I'll take it from the box. 
I'll give Jesus to the chief priests. I'll let them take him to be crucified. A love for the stuff of this world that just consumed him. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be you and I. Isn't that radical to think about? I mean, we would never follow him apart from the grace of God and the Holy Spirit calling us, making our eyes able to see God's word doing this work in our hearts as the Holy Spirit draws us unto himself, bringing us to salvation. It's not a lack of evidence in which people reject Christ. It's incredibly wicked hearts that God says they love darkness rather than the light. They can see all the miracles in the world, and yet they love darkness rather than the light. That was Judas. Judas loved darkness. He loved the stuff of the world. And then when he got it, when he got the 30 pieces of silver, and they take Christ away, he goes and, and takes it, throws it down and says, I've sinned against innocent blood. Jesus never did. He, he didn't do anything. You could take it because when you get all of the world's goods, it's still filled with emptiness. You could take the wealthiest people in this world and they're still empty. Was he repentful? Did, did he repent? No. He just went and hung himself. He went and took his life. It wasn't repentance that occurred. It was him coming to a place of, I've sinned against innocent blood. I'm going to take my life. And so he did. When Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. We're told the disciples looked at each other. They looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Matthew gives us a little bit more detail in this, where he says that, that they're there and, and they're eating. And Jesus says, surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Is it, is it me? You put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They love him. They believe in him. But he's saying amongst the twelve, one of you will betray me. Their minds don't go to a place of, it's Judas. I know it's Judas. That guy, it's, it's just like that painting at the, you know, Last Supper. He, he has that sinister look on his face. I know it's him. He's, he, he looks that way. No. They're not thinking. Judas was just the most incredible hypocrite. He acted just like the rest of them. They came to a place of, Lord, is it me? Every one of them, am am I going to be the one that betrays you? Will I be the one that betrays you? I think it's, it's important to note that Jesus doesn't say in all this, at least one of you are going to betray me. He doesn't say that, right? He says, one of you will betray me. One of you will. 
Not at least one of you. One of you will. Why can he say that with such authority? Because he knows that the other 11 will not betray him. He knows that the other 11, he began the good work in them, and he'll be faithful to complete it to the very end. I love that about the gospel. I love that the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells within us and that God knows us, he calls us, he chooses us from even before the foundations of the world, that he be, he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith and he holds us in his hand and the Father who's greater than all holds us in his hand and there's no one that can snatch him away. He knows that Peter, even when he's imprisoned by Herod for preaching the gospel, that Peter will, will be taken to be crucified and that Peter's gonna say, don't, don't, don't crucify me like my Lord was crucified. Can you crucify me upside down? Because I don't want to die in the same way as my Lord. I'm not worthy of that. Crucify me upside down, Peter said. He knows the details. He knows that James, the son of Zebedee, is just going to, he's going to see the resurrected Christ. He's going to say, I'm going to Spain. I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to proclaim the gospel in Spain. We're told in Acts chapter 12 that Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church and they killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. See, Jesus knows that even when James, the son of Zebedee, is, is there and there's a sword that's brought before him, that he will not deny Christ no matter what. He's not going to deny Christ. He knows that John, even when he's exiled onto the island of Patmos, that John believed and he will gladly be exiled on the island of Patmos and later come and die in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, because he is not going to forsake Christ. Andrew, he's going to go to Greece and he's going to go to Asia Minor and he's going to go to Russia. And then Andrew's going to be crucified on an X-shaped cross. But he will not deny Christ. Even when death is put before him, he is not going to deny Christ. Philip, absolutely not. He's not going to deny Christ. He's going to the Ukraine. He's going to be crucified on a tall cross in modern-day Turkey. But he's not going to deny Christ. He saw the resurrected Christ. He knows whom he believes. He's going to go proclaim the gospel to the uttermost parts of this world. Bartholomew, he's going to go to Asia Minor and to India. And then he's going to be the founder of the Armenian church. And they're going to flay him alive. But he's not going to deny Christ. Matthew, he's going to go to Persia and Macedonia and Syria and Parthia and Midia and Ethiopia. And then he's going to die a martyr, but he will not deny Christ. Thomas, doubting Thomas. No, he said, my Lord and my God, and he worshiped him. And he's going to India, and then he's going to be put to death by a spear and buried in India, but he will not deny Christ. James, the son of Alphaeus, he's going to be arrested, thrown off the temple, and he's going to be beaten to death with a club. But he's not going to deny Christ. Thaddeus? He's going to get on a ship and he's going to go off into the horizon and he's going to go wherever that takes him preaching the gospel, but he will not deny Christ. And Simon the Zealot, he's going to take the gospel to Persia, but he will not deny Christ. 
With such authority, Jesus says, one of you will deny me. But I could picture those guys getting ready to be flayed alive or to be crucified on a tall cross or on an X-shaped cross or upside down. And they're saying, we're not Judas. We will never, ever forsake him because he began the good work in us and he'll be faithful to complete it. And we'll proclaim the gospel, whatever that might bring. For me, that's incredibly encouraging to look and think of a God who says, I know you. I have called you. Whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. May that be just an incredible assurance for us as believers. But if you are here this morning and you are a Judas, you're here this morning and you are an unbeliever, you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Christ and his work upon the cross for your salvation, and you're here for whatever worldly gain or the way it makes you feel that you might get, but your hope is not in Christ, know that at this particular time, Judas Judas has entered into eternity where he will never see light again. He has entered into blackest darkness forever and ever, weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no hope for him for salvation. For there was never faith in Christ. That betrayer was there not because he was just unfortunate. He had a heart that was incredibly hard, given towards sin, and then Satan entered him, as we'll see. In John 13, 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who's that talking about? John himself, right? The author of, of the Gospel of John uses this phrase on different occasions, referring to himself. I love that about John. He doesn't want to talk about himself. He doesn't want to say, like, and I, John, like, I was like, I was right next to him. Judas was on one side, but I was on the other side. And I was, I was right next to him. And I, my, my head was like on his chest. Like, you know, like I, I had the most privileged position. He just doesn't even bring up his name. He just says like, but then there was this one leaning on the bosom of Jesus. And just so you know who he is, he's the one that Jesus loved. And, and I don't think he's saying like, like he loved me more than he loved the rest of you guys. Um, I say stuff like that to my siblings, like, you know, I am the favorite. And, <laughs> and I am. But I, I um, I'm just kidding. But really, I am. But they, we, my siblings and I have done that with my parents, and it's, it's fun. But John's just there saying, he loves me. And when he's identifying himself, Jesus loves me. He loves me. He knows his Savior, and as he's penning this, he just is looking and saying, who am I? I was, I was the one that, he loved me. I know he loved me. Well, Simon Peter therefore motions to him and asks who it was of whom he spoke, and then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it 
And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. From there, we see that Jesus does this. He takes the piece of bread. And, and as Judas does this, says, now after, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Jesus knows that he is about to go to the cross. He identifies Judas. Judas is sitting right next to him. It's you. We're told through Matthew that Judas even said, is it I? And Jesus affirms, yes. Well, he's there now, and Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly. Judas doesn't respond by, no, I can't go through with it. This is a mistake. Please forgive me. He just goes from that place to betray Jesus. Verse 28 says, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. At that particular time during Passover, they would give to the poor. So they're thinking Judas left because he's going to go probably do something and give to the poor. But no, Judas is going to betray Christ. Having received the bread, he went out immediately. And it was night. I don't think that that last part that's there is there just so we know what time of day it was. It was dark. It was night. And there goes Judas. Judas will never see light again from that point on. As I said before, it was night. He took that, went, betrayed Christ, and then would later go and hang himself um, and enter into the judgment of the Lord. For us here as believers this morning, I'm so thankful for his grace that that's not me. I'm so thankful for his grace that he's able to keep me to the end. I'm so thankful for his grace that, that through faith in Christ, because I can sit here on this Reformation Sunday and say, my only hope for salvation is that I believe that Jesus, my Lord, my God, my Savior, died on that cross to forgive me of my sin. He took my sin upon himself and took the wrath that I deserve so that I would not have to experience it. And all of my hope is in him. Scripture tells me that. Christ is sufficient for that. I am saved by grace and I am saved through my faith in Christ and I will give him all of the glory on this morning. If your heart is in that place, Your only hope for salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Like like those disciples, they could go to flay you 
and you will stay with him to the end. He began the good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, may today be the day of salvation for you. Every one of us as believers here have a day of salvation in which God saved us. May today be the day that you walk as a disciple of Christ in whom you will spend all eternity. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word with such authority. You show us, Lord, that you were going to have one that was going to betray you. Even in those passages in the Old Testament, you prophesied of that to come. You said that it would happen before that it would happen that, so that we would believe that you are God. And we believe this morning. Our hope for salvation is in you. And Lord, it's unto you in whom all glory belongs. May we glorify you with all that is within us on this Reformation Sunday morning. May you be exalted in each one of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.